Amen. Good morning, church. Happy New Year, everyone. This is the fullest 11 a.m. service we've had. It's great. I'm loving it. And hello to everybody who's at home. Your New Year's resolution can be to show up at church. Um, that's fine. How's everybody doing this morning? Doing okay? Survived all of the partying last night? All of that? It's great. It's my, uh, Maria and I were asleep by like 10.30, so... At some point last night, Maria went, Happy New Year. And I was like, hello, Happy New Year. <laughs> so here we are. So that's how we celebrated New Year's. Um, New Year's Day has always been kind of an interesting like, thing for me. Uh, I, I tend to fall into one of two categories throughout the years, depending on the year and depending on my mood and whether or not I've taken my meds or not. Um, uh, but it seems to be like uh, some years I think of New Year's and I get like reflective and I think about the year past and it's like, oh yeah, this is, you know, this was a good year or maybe this was some of the stuff that happened that wasn't so great this year or um, what, what are the things that I really enjoyed from this last year and what are some of the things that I would have done differently and then as I get reflective, I start thinking about the following year and I'm like, oh. What do I want to change? What resolution do I want to make? What do I want to, uh, what do I want to do? How do I want to be different as I enter this new year? And there are other years where I get very cynical, <laughs> and I think to myself, okay, well, the Earth has reached that arbitrary point in its orbit around the sun that we've decided is the year is the point in the year that everything's new. And we've just sort of like chosen this moment and this, that's what we're going to do. And it's fine. And I guess I might as well try and change something. But if I don't, then it's not really a big deal because I probably wasn't going to actually follow through on my resolution to begin with, right? There's these, um, I had a friend who uh, his New Year's resolution every year as like a joke, his New Year's resolution was to not use the bathroom. That was his New Year's resolution, and it was because he thought that New Year's resolutions were ridiculous. And so he was like, well, I'm going to make a New Year's resolution that I'm inevitably going to break. And then that's the way it was, um, which I just thought was really funny. Um, but depending on the year, I'm kind of in one of those two camps. And I would imagine that, that we're somewhere along that spectrum, every one of us in this room, uh, at this point in the year. And uh, it's January 1st, 2023. Woo, we made it, guys. We survived 2022. Uh, quick poll in the room. How many of you made a New Year's resolution this year? Raise your hand. No shame if you didn't, but go ahead and raise your hand if you're like, are, I'm going to change something this year. Okay, how many of you didn't make one? Cool. All right. Cool, cool, cool. Sweet. I'm in good company. <laughs> That's good. I mean, I kind of did. Uh, I, I would really love to get back in shape this year. I feel like I've just kind of, I don't know, I, I definitely cannot run the same distance that I used to be able to run without falling on the floor and dying. So... I, I'm going to try and, and change that this year. Um, if you made a New Year's resolution, turn to your neighbor and share with them what it is. Ready, go. If you didn't make one, tell why you didn't make one. It'll give you an opportunity to complain. I like it. <laughs> All right. A lot of chatter. Seems like some new, some new New Year's resolutions might have come out of that conversation, which I feel good about. That's good. So 
this is a time of year where we as a society has, have sort of decided that this is when we're going to pause and reflect and think about what's new, right? What's, what's new? What's coming? What's coming down the pipe in 2023? And there's a lot of, like, advertising that's out there. I've seen it all over on, like, Instagram and YouTube ads and whatever that are like, you know, new year, new you, right? New year, new me. And it, a lot of the times it's like a gym, right? Where the gym is like, it's a new year. It's time for a new you. But I've also seen uh, those kinds of like sentiments at like health clinics and doctor's offices because a lot of us just choose not to visit the doctor and they're like, new year, new, new, year, new you, it's time to go to the doctor, okay? Uh, there's a bunch of different things that maybe we might have um, chosen that we want to do in this new following year. Maybe it's, I, I'm going to get healthy, I'm going to change my, my lifestyle, my eating habits, my, my diet, I'm going to exercise more, maybe I'm going to drink less alcohol and that will help or whatever. Uh, maybe I'm going to read some more books this year or I'm going to read the whole Bible in a year and I'm not going to quit when I get to Leviticus this time. <laughs> like, maybe I'm going to uh, take that trip that I've been wanting to take and, and we're going to go on vacation for the first time in a while and it's going to be really fun. Maybe I'm going to call my family some more, uh, you know, call my mom every once in a while and, and actually catch up. Maybe I'm going to um, be on time to work every morning. I don't know what it is, right? But sometimes we, we get into this mode where we think of the following year and we get into this really optimistic space, right? Where it's like, it's a new year. I'm going to add some new habits. It's going to be a good thing. I'm going to cut out some habits that I didn't like. And I'm going to be able to do something that's new. I'm going to have this optimistic outlook. I'm going to try and do something new with my life. But what if, what if you're looking at the year 2023 and you don't have the same kind of feeling, that same kind of optimism, that same kind of, yeah, I'm going to do this, as maybe you have before, or maybe it's just not a thing for you. What if you're looking at the next year with some anxiety in your heart and wondering, what is this year going to bring? Because you and I don't know, right? We don't really know what's going to happen. We don't have a crystal ball. We can't look into the future. We don't know what 2023 is going to hold. Or maybe you do have some idea of what 2023 is going to look like, and it's going to be some stuff that is not fun. Maybe you're dealing with an illness and you have to deal with treatments and all kinds of stuff that's going to be happening in this next year as you, your body tries to deal with whatever it is that, it, uh, that you're dealing with. Maybe you have to make some really difficult financial decisions in this coming year and you know 2023 is the year that I need to make this decision and it's not going to be fun. Maybe 2023 is the year that you're thinking to yourself, I know that there's going to be some good stuff and there's also going to be some stuff that's incredibly painful. And as we hold those two realities in tension, right, there is some optimism and there is also some anxiety. We need to acknowledge that what we do and how we interact with the world and the things that we choose to do as a result of what, you know, the year change, we have to acknowledge that just the doing part of what we do as Christians is incomplete. There's something deeper that helps us hold those two realities in tension. And there's something about what it is that we are 
as humans as we walk into this next year. And the whole main point, if I want you to walk away with anything today, it's this. The things we do as part of the Christian life flow from the people we become in relationship to Jesus. We're going to look at a few passages in the Bible that are going to talk about this today, but this is kind of what I want us to hold in our minds as we look into the year 2023. The things that we do as part of the Christian life, if maybe one of your resolutions was to do something on the spiritual side of things, pray more, read your Bible more, attend church more regularly, get into a small group, attend a Bible study, listen to some more podcasts, whatever it is, the things that we do as part of that, as part of the Christian life, flow from the people we become. Now, we're looking into this year of 2023, right? And it's a transition period. This is an inflection point for many of us. There's a, this is a moment where we're, we're looking into something new. And there are many points in the story of the Bible where the, God's people are doing the same thing or individuals are doing the same thing. They've come out of one period in their life and they're looking into another and deciding how they want to interact with that reality. And we're going to look at a text that's in the Old Testament. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And as you're turning there, I want to give us a little bit of context for what's going on in this passage before we dive into it, okay? So we're going to start, we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 12, so you can go ahead and start turning there, but here's kind of the story so far. At this point in the story of God's people, Moses, you've heard of him, right? Moses has led the people of Israel through the Red Sea out of slavery in Egypt and they have been wandering in the desert for 40 years. 40 years. That's longer than I have been alive. 40 years. And the whole first generation of people that has come out of the land of Egypt, that whole first generation that were enslaved under Pharaoh and then escaped with God's help have died in the wilderness. And it's their kids, their children, that Moses is speaking to at this moment. Moses knows that he is not going to be allowed to go into the promised land with the people. Moses sinned in a way throughout the, in, in, the, in the story of the Torah. Moses sinned in such a way that God was not going to allow him to walk into the land with the people. He was going to see it but he wasn't actually going to be able to join with them. So what Moses does throughout the book of Deuteronomy is he delivers a speech. And he says, these are the things that you guys need to know as a nation before I die and before I'm not going to be with you guys anymore and before you march into the promised land. These people are at an inflection point. They've come out of 40 years of wandering in the desert, and that is all that these people have known, right? And... They're about to enter into the promised land. So, he tells them this in the context of all of that. Here's what he says. He says, now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God all your heart with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving to you today for your own good. Now, it ends with a little question mark at the end of this, and it's kind of, um, it's kind of tough to follow the logic of this sometimes because it's, 
Moses is pretty good at run-on sentences. Um, but what he's asking is, what apart from all of this stuff is God actually asking you guys to do? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is nothing. This is what, this is it. This is the life of the people of Israel. What is there to do but to fear the Lord, walk in obedience, love him, serve him with all your heart and all your soul, and observe the commands and decrees of the Lord? What is there to do? The answer is nothing. Now, we're looking at this passage, and it seems an awful lot like there's some stuff to do here, right? There are some things that we got to do. There are some things that Moses is telling the people, here's your list, all right? Now, I have to imagine that as the people are standing in this place where they're about to walk into the promised land, that there's probably a spectrum of emotion and feeling among the people about what they're about to experience, Much like many of us, there's probably some that are feeling very optimistic about what's about to happen. Yes, we're able to finally get out of the desert. We can settle down. We can have families. We can, like, farm the land. It's going to be great. We're not going to be wandering anymore. And Moses isn't going to be telling us what to do anymore. And that's going to be great, okay? Like, it's going to be awesome. We can do it. And there's probably others that are on the other side of the spectrum, which are probably pretty sort of daunted by this task that they're about to have. Looking at whatever it is that's coming down the pipe and saying, okay, we're about to enter into this land that God promised to Abraham and his kids so long ago. It's finally happening, but this seems like it's a pretty big transition in life, right? It's going to be pretty wild, They've come from a long period of difficulty in the desert, and they're going to go into a long period of difficulty in the promised land. There's going to be good stuff, yes. There's also going to be a lot of hard stuff. This is not a group of people who are only optimistic. There's a mixture of feelings. There's a mixture of excitement and anxiety. So here's what I want us to do today. Think about a time in your life, right now, just you. Think about a time in your life when you were excited and nervous for something at the same time, and then share it with a neighbor, okay? Think about it, and then share it with somebody next to you. Judging from how many people were talking just then, I imagine this is a relatively common thing that most people have experienced. If you've experienced this in your life, would you just raise your hand? This is a thing, right? It's it it matters. Mine was uh, when I well the the example that I would give right now is when I graduated and I finally got my master's degree, and I was like, I have been working on this for so long. There's this like I'm so excited for what's next. 
This is a whole new period of life, all right? This is like, this is exciting. My wife was supportive of me all along the way. This is incredible. And then I graduate, and then you have the now what question of like, okay, I've been working towards this for a long time. And now what? What's, what's life? Am I going to get the, the right job? Am I going to be able to, to use what I've learned? Is this, did this even matter in the first place? All these questions and some nervousness about this. And as we look into this new year, and as we think about what things are going to be going on, I want us to understand this as we look at this passage, and we're going to dig into it a little bit more, but it's this. Moses' main concern was about the kind of people Israel would be when they entered the promised land. This passage is not just about doing. It's about being. It's about the core of these people. So what does Moses do? He says this, now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask you but to fear the Lord your God? Now this word fear, we actually just sang about being no longer a slave to fear. Interesting. So what does this word fear mean? Because there's like this fear that's like a terror that keeps me from doing the things in my life. And then there's a fear of the Lord, which is like, this is a good thing. Fear the Lord, right? It does have to do with being scared. There is an actual element. If you were to encounter God face to face, I would imagine that that wouldn't be the most comfortable experience for you and I, right? All the time. However, it also has to do with reverence and worship. So we're talking about this moment, this tension between I deeply, deeply respect whatever this being in front of me is, and I also holding that intention with reverence and awe and all these kinds of things. We're to fear the Lord. That comes from an internal reality. That comes from having encountered the Lord and knowing who he is enough to recognize the kind of people we are in relationship to him. Moving on, he says, walk in obedience. We're to do the things that God tells us to do. And he spells those things out explicitly for the people of Israel. We just got, like, if you've read up to this point in Deuteronomy, you've just read a ton of stuff about how the people are to live, down to some very specific things, right? And love him. Now, this love, this idea of love, particularly in the Old Testament, is not simply an emotional reality. Our English word love is tough sometimes because I love my mom and I also love pizza. And if I loved my mom the same way that I loved pizza, that would be a problem, right? So, this word has to do with faithfulness. It has to do with honoring and being loyal to the Lord, which once again stems from an identity, and we're going to look at that a little bit later as well. We're to serve the Lord, and then here's the emphasis. He takes some time to emphasize this with all your heart and all your soul. He kind of squishes it right in the middle of this passage, and he says, all of your heart and all of your soul, you're to do these things with everything that you are, your whole being. It comes from the heart and the soul. Now, in sort of our Western culture, once again, when we read the Bible, sometimes we have a cross-cultural experience, right? Right? 
And in our Western culture, when we think of I, like I love someone and serve them with all my heart and all my soul, it tends to have a very emotional component to it, right? It's like I have very deeply seated emotions and feelings toward this person. And that is an element of this. And it's also when you're talking about the heart and the soul in the Old Testament in particular, the heart and the soul have to do with the deepest seated place where your identity comes from, the core of your being, the thing that's in you that motivates your actions and your thoughts and your attitudes. You don't think in your head in the Old Testament, you think in your heart. You, say, you don't say things to yourself in your head, you say things to yourself in your heart. It's the seat of your reality of who you are. There's an emphasis on the heart and the soul. There's an emphasis on the center of a person's being, not just their actions. So once again, as we look into 2023, we're kind of starting to see that there's this relationship that happens, and we're going to explore this, this relationship that happens between being and doing. I am a follower of Jesus. I have been rescued by God, and I do things in response to that. And the fact that, that the people were supposed to serve God out of the core of their being and not out of a way to earn his affection and, and, uh, and his love come next in our passage. Here's what he says. The Lord your God, to the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens. Not just like regular old heaven, but the highest heavens, Okay. In Hebrew, this is the heaven of heavens. It's like the holy of holies. It's the most holy place, right? It's the heavens. And the earth and everything in it. Everything, right? This is an expression that means from the highest of highs, the lowest of lows, everything belongs to God. Everything. He is real big, right? He's a, he's a big guy, God. He's got a lot of power. He is majestic. And what does he do in verse 15? Yet, in spite of the fact that God is so immense, we couldn't even comprehend the fact that he's so big, yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them, was loyal to them. And he chose you. Now he's speaking directly to the people that are about to go into the promised land. And he chose you, their descendants, above all nations, as it is today. Above all nations. God is so big, and yet he took notice of, and took care of, and cared for, and welcomed a people into his kingdom, and into his love. That is a big deal, and guess what? They didn't earn it. God chose them. There's this emphasis on being. God chose them. He didn't choose them because of their actions. He just chose them because. And he doesn't choose us because of our actions. He chooses us just because, because of his love. Now, Moses goes on and he uses a very interesting metaphor here. He says, circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Now, stiff-necked is an expression that means like stubborn, like stop 
trying to throw off all of the stuff that God wants you to do, right? But what I find so interesting is that Moses uses this phrase, circumcise your hearts. Now, he brings up this covenant sign, the sign that was given to Abraham by God to say, hey, Abraham, you are part of my family. I'm choosing you. I'm going to make you into a big nation. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to bless you. It's going to be so, so cool. And to show the world that you are part of my covenant, you're going to go through the ritual of circumcision, okay? But Moses takes that and he moves it into an inward thing. It's something that happens inside. He says that the heart needs to be made right with God. We could do all of the covenant stuff. We could do all the things. That sounds great, right? Let's, let's do the stuff. But if our hearts are far from God, then what does it matter? Our hearts need to be welcomed into the covenant too. Our hearts need to be brought near to God. What does Isaiah say? These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And in so doing, what he does is he demonstrates that there is this emphasis on who we are, not just what we do. We are chosen by God and loved by him. Moses is emphasizing that if the hearts of the people are in the right condition, then their actions are going to flow from there. The heart comes first and then the actions follow. Being and doing. We're touching on this reality of being and doing. We're going to be followers of Jesus who have been welcomed into God's family, and we're going to do stuff as a result. So we're going to talk about this, because there's a few different ways that we can talk about this relationship. There are a few different ways that maybe we think about this relationship, and I would argue, and I'm, I would argue that there's a way that's probably the most helpful for us as we look into a new year and as we think about the way that we behave in the world as Christians. So the first one is this, being versus doing. We have being versus doing. In this sort of way of thinking, we think of the two like I am followed or like loved by God and I do stuff because God tells me to. And we can think of those two things as almost like opposed to one another. We can think, well, if I, if I, if I do too much to try and earn God's affection, then I'm not actually living in the fact that I am a follower of Jesus and God loves me. But if I just sit over here, then maybe I'm not going to do enough stuff. And the scriptures actually address this. So the first one is this, if being wins over doing, if we focus too much on our faith and our inward self and just, you know, like, I got, I've got my faith and that's all I need, here's what James has to say about that. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, you're a human and you're loved by God, congratulations, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, by faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. If we let being win over doing, then we end up with dead faith. We end up just consuming and consuming and consuming and consuming and nothing else comes out. But the love of God is meant to go out to others. It's incomplete if it just stays here right? 
Secondarily, we can also emphasize doing over being. We can say doing wins. I have to be, I have to like do the stuff to be a Christian. And here's what Jesus has to say about that. Many of you, or many, will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Whoa. Hang on a second. This passage is a little freaky, right? But here's what's, this is what happens when we emphasize the doing over being loved by God. These people were doing a bunch of great stuff. Is it not a good thing to prophesy? Is it not a good thing to drive out demons and perform miracles? It's good. God like, loves it when his people do that, right? That's awesome. However, if we don't know Jesus and we don't do it as a result of the fact that we've been changed and transformed by Jesus first, and we do it in order to just sort of tell Jesus, look what I did for you, congratulations, we're going to miss the boat if doing wins over being. So that's the first reality. We can think of the two as sort of like enemies. Here's the second reality. Doing or being leads to doing. So James goes on and he says, show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by what I do. That's pretty great, right? I have faith and therefore I do. However, I'm going to argue that this way of thinking can be incomplete. And the reason is this. Let's say I encountered Jesus and I became a Christian and the Spirit renewed my heart and then I went out and I just did a bunch of stuff and I never went back to having that moment with Jesus. I never went back to my relationship with him. I just said, oh, I'm saved. Now I got to go. I got to do the things. That can lead us to believe that doing the things is the true end-all, be-all of the Christian life. If I just get saved at one point and then I just go and do stuff as a result and I don't actually cultivate a relationship with Jesus, then maybe that's really what the Christian life is all about. But we can still start to fall into sort of that trap of, like, of legalism saying, well, if I stop doing the things, whatever these things are, if I stop doing what I believe that God has called me to do, then, well, then I'm really in trouble. Because maybe I just am not actually operating out of being loved by God. So here is my proposal. Being leads to doing, leads to being, leads to doing, it's a cycle. Being leads to doing. In the doing, we're transformed. And there's something else that happens as we encounter the Spirit throughout the Christian life. This is something that, that should be happening in each of one of our lives. And as we think about this coming year and what are maybe some of the things that we want to do, I want us to focus on the fact that as we think about how we want to change or the things we want to do differently in this year, I want us to ask the question, what kind of a person is this making me into? 
what is this changing about me? What kind of a person am I going to be as I do this? Being leads to doing, which leads to being. These two realities are connected, and they're connected in a symbiotic relationship. You guys have heard that word in school, right? Like, symbiotic relationship. Um, so think about it this way. You guys have seen these guys before, right? You've seen Finding Nemo. Come on. Clownfish, right? Clownfish and what's that stuff around them? The anemone. Yeah. It's a fun word to say. You know, everybody try it. Anemone. Yeah, it's good. Cool. An enemy, right? No, I'm just kidding. Um, so the clownfish hang out and they live in these anemones, all right? The clownfish have developed a certain way of like shielding themselves so that the anemones can't sting them and hurt them, right? And in exchange, what they do is they clean the anemones and as they like eat little parasites and bugs and stuff off of them. And then of course, when the clownfish eat, the stuff comes out too, right? Um, and the anemones eat that, which is gross, but hey, you know, it's, it's, it's a living, right? And the anemones get food, and they get protection from other predators that would want to eat the anemones, and the clownfish get protection, and they also get a place to live. And if one of those two links in the chain were to go away, the other would suffer. If the anemones all stopped existing... The clownfish would be like, well, where would we live now? <laughs> like, that's a problem. And if the clownfish all went away, the anemones would have a lot harder time dealing with parasites and predators and all kinds of other stuff. Pretty crazy, right? So, let's think about this for a second. What other symbiotic relationships can you think of? How does that relationship help us to understand the relationship between being and doing? Think about it for a second and share with your neighbor. Feels like we're in biology class, right? Yes. Solid. <laughs> I like failed that class in high school and now I love it. I don't know, okay, it's fun. Um, so think about this for a second. I don't know which ones you came up with. There's a bunch that exist in nature, okay? But the fact is that our being, who we are in Jesus, is related to our doing and our doing is related to our being. The two exist together. They cannot be apart. There has to be something that shows that our lives have been changed by Jesus. But our lives have to be changed by Jesus to do the stuff that matters. What does this all have to do with New Year's? We've kind of been talking about it a little bit, right? As we think about this coming year, as we think about 2023 and how we want to live our lives, how is what I'm planning on doing going to affect the person I'm becoming? Think about that question. 
How is this going to affect the person I'm becoming? Because our goal, ultimately, is to become people that exhibit the character of Jesus in the world. That's our goal, ultimately. We are to be people who exhibit those fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, right? All those things. You know the song. And as those things are increasing in our life, we are starting to look more and more like Jesus. And we're going to do some stuff that exhibits those things. And then our heart gets transformed. It becomes an upward spiral. The the goal of the Christian life is being people who become like Jesus. We love God. We love our neighbors as ourselves. That's exceptionally simple. It's simple. But simple and easy are two different things, right? I cook an egg almost every single morning, and I'm pretty sure I break the yolk half the time, you know, or like don't overcook it or do something, but it's just cooking an egg. It's very simple. But it's not always easy. So I don't know what 2023 is going to bring for you and I, right? I don't have a, I don't have a crystal ball. I'm, you know, I can't see into the future. Probably some good stuff. 2023 is going to be all right. There's probably going to be some really hard stuff too. There's probably going to be some things that we wish didn't happen. There's probably going to be some things that we wish we didn't do. Or that when we get to 2024, that we're going to look back at 2023 and say, I wish I had done that. There's probably going to be some of that stuff. But no matter what comes our way this year, no matter what we decide to actually do, we can face it together as we continue to become more like Jesus. And as we live in that upward spiral between doing as a result of the fact that we've been changed and then being changed by the Spirit as we do and then going through this cycle over and over and over again. But that has to start somewhere. And it starts with a relationship with Jesus. So if you're here and you have not started that relationship, this is your invitation. 2023 could be the year that you say, that's the year I gave my life to Jesus. That could be an amazing thing an inflection point in your life. It's got to start somewhere. If that's something you want to do, let's talk, okay? We can make that happen. So as of today, as we embark on a new year, let's keep this in mind. The things we do as part of the Christian life flow from the people we become in relationship with Jesus. Let's pray.